Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Firm Returns Weekly. This week, um, we're going to be digging into the Warner Brothers Discovery Q3 earnings. I'll just share my screen quickly. So, um, yeah, we've also got some positive news about the strike to cover a little later on. Let's dig into the earnings. So, on Wednesday, the 8th of November, Warner Brothers Discovery published their Q3 earnings covering the period ending 30th of September. Overall, I came away pretty positive, but it seems that the market may have disagreed. So I think it fell something like close to 20% on the day of the results, so down to sort of here, and it's since sort of recovered. I think part of that recovery is probably to do with the, um, the strikes just afterwards around around about here um it was announced that the resolution to the strikes was, was uh on the table well was in place and tentatively accepted and and then it would be fully like verified and approved and so on uh on friday which is the 10th so yeah that probably is uh something to do with the swing but this large drop as i'll get on to uh largely i think to do with the ad market let's have a look so there's been quite a lot of talk about fears of a weak advertising market in 2024, but as far as I can tell, the forward guidance given by management factors that in and still leaves the company in good shape. In any case, let's dig into the, some of the financials. So I've got a link here to the um, their quarterly results page. that has got the different things, presentations and, um, and so on. The link to the earnings call recording and everything. So yeah, give that a look if you want to dig into it in more detail. So uh, revenues were pretty well flat at $9.98 billion versus $9.82 in Q3 2022, but adjusted EBITDA rose 22% to $2.97 billion from $2.42 billion. Looking at the breakdown of costs on the income statement, we can see that they have come down meaningfully across all categories. Part of this will be due to the impact of the strikes but there are clearly some synergies starting to come through. I think they talked to uh, $4 billion of synergies or whatever have already been realized up to this point that so they've had to spend money to get them. So that would be like in future years, you'll really see uh, that. And they've scoped for more than five in total. So there's that sort of scope for further synergies just keeps growing. Um, but yeah, we'll dig into a second. Um you can really just see everything as across all cost of revenues come down, I guess. And these are things going to be, some of it, like I say, is going to be impacted strikes, not paying as much for certain things and so on. But, you know, they're able to optimize marketing, um, which will be, um, I guess, has to come in under SGNA and stuff. And then you've got cost of revenues, just optimizing the content spend, just optimizations across the board. Um, because we know that Discovery was a a very efficiently run company um, prior to the merger, so they've been able to bring some of those cost efficiencies to bear at Warner Media, which wasn't so um, cost efficient. So uh, yeah, they're bringing a lot of that focus on cash and so on to the biz, and. Um, 
Yeah, and obviously the restructuring charges here as another big component that's dropped off, but that's just going to be that can't really be factored into the ongoing stuff. This is a like a one-off drop, really, just because of the money they were spending last year to really implement the changes and so on they wanted uh, from from the merger. And yeah, so this line kind of can be excluded for uh, in future years. But um, yeah, so the improved cost efficiencies and a lower level of restructuring and other charges led to a positive operating profit of $97 million compared to an operating loss of $2.19 billion uh, in the Q3 of 2022 and a significantly reduced net loss of negative $407 million versus negative $2.29 billion. Um, and yeah so it's uh and the interest expense i think cracked up slightly i'm guessing that's because of the um there's still a small a component of uh variable rate debt in there that just tweak tweaked up a little bit um even though they have been paying the debt down but the, the variable rate is what they're targeting obviously is priority to remove uh so you on the i think they've still got some like sofa plus whatever um rated debt so that that stuff will um will still be trending up or down or whatever with things but yeah we moving on to onto the debt well yeah i think just overall here it's um looking things are looking positive uh in, in the moving in definitely in the right direction um and we'll get on to cash flows and so on where the picture is looking even even rosier obviously here we've got a lot of um depreciation and so on that uh you don't really see in the in the cash flows and things um yeah let's move on to the debt so gross debt at quarter end was 45.3 billion dollars after a further 2.4 billion dollars was repaid repurchased on the market during the quarter and the company had 2.4 billion dollars of cash at hand the average duration of the outstanding debt as of 30th of september was 14.9 years uh, with an average interest cost of 4.7%. And the average amount of debt maturing annually over the next five years is below $3 billion. So $3 billion a year on average for the next five years. So uh, they that's kind of like a minimum sort of rate you can expect them to be paying down the debt going forward. But I think they're going to be doing it probably at an excel, uh, over and above that. Because as you can uh, see in the next paragraph an additional 600 million dollars has subsequently been repaid bringing the total debt repayment since the close of the merger to 11.8 billion so they've already in the last i think 19 months since the merger they've repaid 11.8 billion dollars of debt um and this takes you up to november 8th i think um and so yeah we can probably expect to see maybe 5 billion Five six billion plus repaid next year as well, or something something along those lines. Um, I assume they'll be main and now that they have more, obviously there was some cash they had initially to, to contribute to that that came with it they could immediately repay. Um, but there's um, they as we'll get onto in a minute, very healthily cash flowing. Um, so there's plenty of 
free cash flow available that uh, will be going forward to the repairs certainly like uh this year as we're going to is looking at about 5.3 billion dollars certainly that's what it's trading 12 months and what it will be expected for the full year of 2023 and hopefully that will be growing in 2024 um as they're not having to spend so much on dcc to get it to this point it's now it's not a cost you know it's not uh loss making it's um it's actually profitable now and, and all the rest of it but yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit so the net leverage at quarter end was 4.2x and management have restated their guidance that it will be comfortably below 4x by year end they also highlighted the beneficial position the company is now in to retire its fixed rate debt below carrying value due to market interest rates having risen so yeah this implies more debt repayment before the end of the year as well um the possibility of a continued soft ad market in 2024 has led management to conservatively say their 2.5 to 3.0 x leverage target might not be achieved in 20 till 2025 so yeah, this talk of a soft ad market and stuff like this is probably what spooked the market a bit, caused the plunge. But um, and we'll go through the segments a bit and to see how the network segment is uh, languishing a little bit uh, at the moment. Um, and but yeah, we'll we'll get onto that in in a minute. So looking briefly at the cash flows, so cash flows from operations were very healthy at two point five two billion dollars versus 124 million in Q3 2022, which flowed through to $2.06 billion in free cash flow versus a negative $192 million uh, prior year. This is also after they made their roughly $900 million semi-annual cash interest payment during the quarter. So, I mean, there's plenty of places they'll be benefiting from here um there's obviously barbie continued to do well through a lot of uh q3 uh they had so that really fueled a lot of the all of this the cash flow i would expect and then they've got uh they had more to combat one the continued success of hogwarts legacy all, all the rest of it so there's yeah, there's it's been a pretty strong quarter for for your cash flow um, I think it's pretty good, a pretty strong quarter, the pre, the prior one as well. But um, yeah, so management is guiding for full year free cash flow to be around $5.3 billion, which matches the total from the trade in 12 months. So that's what I mentioned. So moving on to the studio segment, first of the three segments being studios, networks, and DTC, direct-to-consumer. So the studio segment saw modest revenue growth of 4% to $3.23 billion versus $3.09 billion in Q3 2022, but a 5% decrease in adjusted EBITDA to $727 million um, from $762 million prior year due to higher cost of revenues and selling general administrative expenses. Increases in theatrical and gaming revenue have been offset by a significant decrease in TV revenue due to certain large licensing deals in the prior year and the impact of the strikes. Um, so yeah, they 
things have come off the ball a little bit on these things. They haven't had as many um, yeah, the licensing deals and what have you. But uh, what else was there? Yeah, TV. I think TV here is the the largest factor for why uh, things have dropped off. And I think guessing part of a lot of that's to do with um, a lower. They've had a lower content slate as well. The stuff they've been able to license out and what have you um and a lot of this is due to delays because the strikes they pushed back releases of certain shows and things like that um because they couldn't be promoted properly by by the actors and so on involved in them among amongst other things uh, but management went into some detail on the company's gaming business stating that it has been profitable for each of the last 15 years and averaging more than 400 million dollars in EBITDA for the last three they also disclosed that Mortal Kombat 1, which was released during Q3, has to, to date sold close to 3 million copies. It sounds like they're going to be making further investments to grow their gaming business and possibly expand out into previously unexplored business models, such as games as a service and free to play. Finally, for studios, the Q2 opening of Warner Brothers Studios Tour Tokyo and continued strong attendance of Warner Brothers Studios Tours London and Hollywood have helped to increase other revenue by 5%, excluding foreign exchange. So, yeah, um, I think from what last, I think they were talking about this in the prior quarter, um, Warner Brothers Studios Tour Tokyo is um, really, really uh, attracting a lot of uh, foot traffic there's really massive queues um of people every day queuing to go and and visit so um yeah it's uh i think they're going to be looking to expand their physical footprint of these kind of experiences things because they all do really well and, and generate good amounts of money for them with the exception of the pandemic years when all kind of physical experiences were closed so moving on to networks Networks revenues decreased 7% to $4.87 billion um, compared to $5.21 billion the prior year, owing to declining viewer numbers and a soft advertising market. A smaller decrease in operating expenses led to a 9% decline in adjusted EBITDA to $2.4 billion from $2.63 billion the prior year. So 9% being greater than the 7% seen in revenue. So showing the operational leverage at play there. Um, so yeah, the advertising is a big factor here, but there's obviously going to be, this is a declining business, so there is going to be this ongoing decline in viewer numbers over time um, anyway. But I am I think the having advertising on top of that just accelerated things a little bit more. But I mean, it is just, it is one quarter as well, so better to look at these things on an annual basis to really try and get a better picture of the um what the overall declines are over time um they're expecting an incremental improvement in ad revenue in q4 as a result of the strong deals they secured during the upfronts this year and improving ratings trends across some of their core networks there's been quite a bit of noise around the deal signed between charter and disney which resulted in several of Disney's channels being dropped. When asked about it during the earnings call, Warner Brothers Discovery's management 
seemed pretty happy with the structure of the deal and don't appear to be overly concerned about the prospect of some of their own lower performing channels getting cut in return for boosted subscription revenue for Max. So I think the idea uh, looks into a lot of the details on this, but I think the idea was previously Disney Plus was kind of getting bundled in to uh, the cable subscriptions to some of the to the Disney channels. Um, it was getting given for free prior previously, and now Disney said they want basically people to pay an extra fee for the uh, Disney Plus, uh, so it's not just a bundled in for free. Um, but you know, Charter wasn't particularly happy with this. They wanted, and so the the ended up deal the deal that they ended up reaching in the end was to cut some of the cut some of Disney's channels. They were not going to pay for those. Um, and then, but then still, ha- then having the Disney Plus as an extra add-on thing that was the additional fee on top uh, that was paid. So kind of like balancing out a bit there. But I think um, when discussed, when asked about this, one of the discoveries management said they there were definitely some lower performing channels that could that they would be prepared to lose um, if, when it comes to them renewing deals and so on um but they they actually see the having an additional uh streaming product on top of that as being a positive thing and they also were talking about and i'm not quite sure exactly how this but i think um potentially something like chartered or whatever having a bundling sort of package package where they provide uh the option several different streaming platforms all together in one single bundle product um and one of those discoveries management seemed pretty positive and, and and liked the idea of this kind of bundling approach which moving back i guess to the to the cable model of having um all the all the channels and so on so um so yeah i do think uh it, it does seem to be that they're not overly concerned about this um maybe uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes from here but I think having individual it boosting the subscribers to the direct consumer which is really the future of where things are going to be going um, sounds like a better thing even if it reduces some of the money from networks having that sort of just larger base of DCC customers is, is probably probably a, a fair compromise and it gives a decent sort of enough balance but yeah there's there is still some shorter term uh downside here if they lose some of the network revenue when it comes to renewing some of these things as they they lose the payments for some of these uh smaller channels and so on uh yeah hopefully this will be offset by growth in in dtc so Direct consumer revenues increased five percent to two point four four billion dollars from two point three two billion dollars the prior year, with a notable twenty nine percent, excluding foreign exchange, rise in advertising revenue to one hundred thirty eight million from one hundred six million, driven by growth in the max ad light tier and higher engagement. So positive if you've got more pe- people spending more time on the platform watching more stuff then obviously the ad payments of a certain portion of them are going to be linked to number of views or whatever so they're getting getting more viewed even even if they're not getting more subscribers 
you know, or they, they, they are still saying here that they're getting growth in the subscribers to the satellite tier. Uh, the higher engagement helps to drive higher ad revenue as well. Um, and the really big thing is, so the revenues sort of grew modestly, 5%, but operating, operating expenses fell 21%, excluding foreign exchange, to $2.33 billion from $2.95 billion, largely due to lower content expense and more efficient market-related marketing-related spend. This resulted in a dramatic swing from adjusted EBITDA, sorry, in adjusted EBITDA from a loss of $634 million in Q3 2022 to a profit of $111 million in Q3 2023. So it's it's broken into, um, into profitability as it continuing from where it was the prior quarter as well. Um, there was a modest drop in total subscriber numbers from 95.8 million dollars in Q, uh, not dollars, million subscribers in Q2 to 95.1 million in Q3. But per average revenue, but average revenue per user or ARPU rose to seven dollars 82 from seven dollars 71 the prior quarter. The drop in subscriber numbers is apparently due to a lighter content slate in part due to show releases being postponed due to the strikes and some overlap between Disney between sorry Discovery Plus and Mac subscribers so there's still an ongoing effect from in Q2 we had I think it was Q2 we had the release of Max um and this included a lot of the discovery content uh, so therefore people who were subscribing independently to HBO Max Discovery Plus now are going to all people who were, um, yeah, it, you're going to you pretend there's, there's just that merging there of the two as um, because of the overlap. So, because um, people who could who would pay in additionally for Discovery Plus and now can now just pay for Max and get the same get the same content. Uh, but yeah, it's positive to see that uh, ARPU is. Increasing this is across both the domestic and um, international. Domestic is significantly higher, um, but I think that a lot of the international stuff is like uh, South America and well, it's other it's other markets that aren't as um, the income levels aren't as high. Uh, but yeah, it's there and yeah, just. Um, so the next bit I was saying here is that now they've got the DT segment to profitability. They're looking to start investing in growth through international expansion. This includes launching Max in Latin America. So I think they already have HBO Max. And a few of these the ones I'm going to list here, they already have HBO Max there, but they're going to be now reaching the combined, releasing the combined Max product. Um, and then there's also some other ones where they don't, they may have Discovery Plus, or they don't have any either the products available, and so they've just been licensing out the content to other providers, like the UK as an example. There, um, but we do have Discovery Plus. We don't have HBO Max or anything, so we have to use other sort of streaming platforms or whatever, or buy the content on demand or whatever to get some of the shows and films. Uh, but yeah, this includes launching Max in Latin America in the first quarter of 2024. 
Then the Nordics, Iberia, the Netherlands, Central and Eastern Europe, France and Belgium later in the year. So quite a bit of uh, international expansion going on in 2024, which should hopefully help to drive up um, the subscriber numbers next year. And hopefully ARPA as well, especially as some of these are more developed markets they're going into, which they could charge higher prices. Um, and I think they currently cover something like they're in present in some form, uh, which I think also includes Discovery Plus in some markets representing about 45% of the world's like broadband customers. So um, broadband paying households. So they've still got like over half the world's population to to target. And, and like I say, a lot of the, in quite a lot of those markets, I think where they've mentioned there, they don't actually have uh, the main like HBO uh, or max max products they just have the discovery plus at the moment or something so or um or vice versa so the new having max max is not available in all those 45 percent as yet um other markets like the uk will probably see launches from 2025 onwards when their current content licenses expire i think germany also fits into that category and quite a few other european ones um as I've previously covered, live sports and news came to Max in October through the Bleacher Report add-on sports tier and CNN Max, respectively. We'll see in the coming quarters whether they have helped subscriber numbers and churn. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. So the sports add-on tier was being added as a initially free, I think, for the first few months or something, till January maybe or something like that. Uh, and then it would be a an add-on tier um, for people to uh pay for if they want to to get this they then have to pay additional fee for it uh, so that providing it for free for a period of time is is obviously an investment as well uh, and cnn max uh there's had some interesting stuff about um it helping already them seeing early signs of it helping to increase engagement because you've got people who are just who were previously not really using max that much they watch on a couple of shows or whatever a month or something now having just with all the events happening in the middle east so on and, and other parts of the world getting the news on using max as the platform to have a, to view some of these things and just having it on in the background and a lot more engagement and these are people that were not, were not paying for cable or anything like that before there's sort of i think the average viewer of cnn max is 20 years younger than the average viewer of cnn on cable and so on so yeah it's, it's hitting a completely different demographic which helps to avoid pulling people away from uh the cable products or whatever so it's, it's hitting a completely different group of people um so yeah that that's pretty much sums up the uh the earnings and what i sort of took out of them is i think looking pretty positive everything they're on track to meet all of their their guidance all of their forecasts for things you know the debt is being paid down at a, a very strong rate accelerated rate in fact i don't think they're expecting to reach this point as yeah they've got dtc is profitable a year early you know everything's everything's really making uh on track and making good strides um so yeah i think we're in a pretty positive place and i, I like to see now that they're looking to start investing a bit in 
now that they've taken a bit of the financial pressure off themselves and they've got the debt a bit bit more on under control and um and a, a pay and now on a got a clear trajectory to continue paying it down to the sort of two and a half to three x range within maybe another 18 months let's say 18 months to two years or something uh to get really just down to that really comfortable level you got a bit more breathing room and they're now able to start investing a bit and with dcc being now breaking even as well so it's not just bleeding cash um getting to that point get to this point has allowed them now to have a bit of breathing room to invest in growth into the gaming business which they see as really attractive and they talked quite a bit in the owners course worth a listen to if you're interested in hearing about that um and then yeah in the dtc as well just the international expansion uh max is like i say uk being one example we don't have we don't have max here so it's it's a big market they can hit and there's there's many many more in across across europe and and the and uh the rest of the world so um yeah plenty plenty more to go after and now that they've worked out now that they found a way to do it profitably uh, it's a great base from which to to now grow so um yeah we'll see have to see how that goes for going forwards but another bit of good news is that not long after the one of us discovery earnings release we heard that the sag afra aftra strike which is the actors union uh, would be ending on thursday the 9th of november which is uh last thursday with a deal having been struck with the studios pending a vote of the union's board on friday the 10th of november uh and that has subsequently passed with 86 percent uh of board members voting three so yeah hopefully this draws a line under the disruption and allows one of us discovery and uh, the other studios to get their content production and release schedule back on track so yeah it's a uh, real positive and now everyone can take all these students to start actually properly solidifying a, a release schedule the next year and beyond and uh and production schedules as well and so on so yeah it's all positive we still do have a little bit of a potential risk with some other union action next year um as I've mentioned before, with the uh, kind of the union that represents all of the uh, the backroom, off-screen sort of stuff, the um, the see, I believe it includes things like CGI, you know, the all the set lighting, sound, all the rest of it, uh, personnel. So yeah, that is a bit of a concern there, but. Uh, and it's certainly potentially bigger than the writers, maybe not as big as the actors. Um, but yeah, that's a potential like little tail risk for next year. But hopefully, uh, with the mold now in place from from the two deals that have been struck so far, any disruption that does happen when that contract becomes to be renewed, in, I think August next year, we will it will be resolved quickly. But anyway, um. Yep, I think that will do it for this episode. So yeah, give give go um go read this newsletter um over at firmreturns.com. Sign up there for free, get it in your inbox, what have you. Uh the firm returns weekly newsletter if you wanted to choose different ones. Also do longer form write-ups. Um I haven't done one for a while. Uh, the last one I think was um 
big update on tiny build that was probably back in july august time so yeah, it's been, been a little while since the last one but uh largely because i've been putting quite a lot of time into doing the weekly stuff but uh yeah i'm looking to do some new write-ups and other companies going forward um there's also portfolio updates so every time i buy or sell anything i'll put an update out normally the, the day i do it at the end of the day so um yeah if you're interested just to see uh, having seen me talk about these companies such as see what i'm actually buying and selling and hold myself uh you you can you can get those uh in your inbox as well or they're just available on my site here portfolio updates so you can see i actually bought some more Warner brothers discovery uh on the night after the shares fell we got it picked up for an average price of nine dollars 64 cents per share um yeah so give that a look uh you might be reviewing this on youtube i have them i have they also have podcast versions of the episodes so you can go have a look uh, at those they'll be should be available on all your uh major podcasts they're not on apple but they're on uh spotify amazon music google Podcasts, etc the ones that are easy for me to distribute to without i needing to sign up to get an apple account or stuff um but yeah so uh Give all that a look, um, and I'll see you all in the next episode.